Hello and welcome to Parently, where we tap into the unique experiences and perspectives of parents to celebrate the joys and honor the challenges of child rearing. With new interviews each week, this is a podcast for moms and dads seeking an empowering community and a little levity. Now here's your host, Kelsey Higgins. Hello and welcome to Parently. So glad that you are joining us today. I have an awesome guest. My friend Andrea Dolan is on the podcast today. Welcome, Andrea. Hi, how are you? Oh, I'm great. I'm really happy that you agreed to do this like last minute recording with me so that I can share uh, your story and your experience with everyone. I don't know if I, if I arm wrestled you into it, but I, um, (laughs) you're, you're you're doing me a solid. We'll say that. No problem. No problem. (laughs) I'm a huge fan of the podcast. So this is actually pretty exciting for me. Oh, stop. You're making me blush. (laughs) I'm excited to have you. Let's we'll we'll talk about how you and I know each other um, in a minute. But let's start with you. Where did you grow up? What was childhood like? Where do you live now? So I grew up, or I spent majority of my time in southeastern Wisconsin, in East Troy, Wisconsin. Um, my dad was in the Air Force, and he met my mom in Okinawa, Japan. So I was actually born in Okinawa, and then they moved around, I want to say, when I was like maybe two years old. Um, and so then we moved to Arizona, and then I spent some time in North Carolina. But then majority of my childhood memories and high school and middle school and elementary, all of that was in uh, Wisconsin. Um, hmm. Yeah, that's super cool. I didn't know that about you, Andrea. My um, sister was stationed there, so I went there. Oh gosh, it was probably like seven, eight years ago oh, now. Wow, you did? That's amazing. Yeah, it's beautiful. Oh. oh my gosh, it's gorgeous. Yeah, if I could go back, that's where I would like to go back. Um, and actually, I like my only knowledge up until I was maybe, I don't know, like 20 or so of Japan was like, we would go back to visit my mom's family. And so it was always Okinawa. So it was very tropical. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a very different feel to it where it's almost like Japanese Hawaii. um, That is exactly how I have been described it. It's the, it's the Hawaii of Japan. Absolutely. And it's, um, it's beautiful sand beaches. And then when I would visit my family, I saw very like, not, I saw, like, it wasn't a touristy version of, of the island. I was just like, I'd be like really immersed in like the culture. And I thought that was amazing. Um, But then also, I had such a different perspective, because then when I was about 27, I moved to the mainland Japan. And I was like, whoa, this is so different. This is not Hawaii. <laughs> so, yeah. or not Japanese Hawaii. So, that was good for me to learn all about. Um, yeah. So, do, that, you, that's little... do you speak any Japanese? Um, I'm bad at it. Um, it's one of those things <laughs> where if, if you don't practice it a lot or don't practice your conversational um, stuff mm-hmm. a lot, then it just, I 
just have forgotten a lot of it. And so I've been working on, um, at least with Ren and Aya, I have some Japanese children's books that I try to read to them more regularly. Um, and I don't know if it's for me that I'm doing it or if it's for them. Because yeah. I'm like, I'm like, I don't want to, it's like use it or lose it. Um, yeah, I would say well, it I'm. Can be, it can be for all of you. Right, exactly. So. Okay, well, you, you mentioned Ren and Aya, so tell me about your uh, your little family today. Oh, yeah. So I have Ren. Um, she is two and a half years old, um, and she's running around upstairs in case you hear that. And then <laughs> Aya is two months old, um, and she was born on um, St. Patrick's Day of this year. Ooh, fun. Yeah. My uh, husband's family is really Irish Catholic, so they were thrilled that she was a St. Patrick's Day baby. Oh, is that's where the Aya comes from? Is um, that Irish? That's actually a Japanese one, but Ren what? is Irish <laughs> and Japanese. <laughs> no, it's fine. I'm going to go ahead and edit that out. <laughs> Don't. No, no, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. So actually, Aya's middle name is Sarcha. I believe. Uh, don't quote me on the correct pronunciation of that, uh, but we had to have a, a Irish middle name for her. So. Super cool. And yeah. your uh, spouse, tell me about your partner. Ah, so that's Sean. Um, he's awesome. He's a very good husband and really uh, he's been taking on literally the load uh this past week or so because we have covid in the house and so he's taken on the toddler um even while he's been sick and it's amazing um that's a lot it's so much <laughs> it's so much oh my gosh um covid when you're sick is like not fun mm -hmm. and covid when you're or sorry raising children or keeping them alive while you're sick is not fun so, right yeah right yeah, you can't um, can't really like tag out of being a parent. Typically. No, and you really want to, but you can't. <laughs> so where where did you and Sean meet? We met in Minneapolis on accident. Um, I always kind of laugh at it, and we were we met at the bar called Cause, which is no longer there. Um, it's in Uptown, or no, just south of Uptown, um, where the Iron Door Pub is now. I believe oh, okay. in that corner. Yep. Yeah. So um, I had sworn off dating. I was done with everything. I had put an application to move to Japan and teach English abroad. And I was not interested in meeting anybody. And But we both knew um, this. Well, I knew him as a bartender, but he was actually in a band and he's like, Hey, I'm playing at cause you should come down. And that's actually Sean's cousin. Um, and so we both like accidentally ended up in the same bar watching the same show. And then he asked me to dance and yeah, it, it went from that. there. So yeah. sweet. So did you still, <laughs> did you still move to Japan then after oh, you yeah. met him? Yes, I did. See you, so, Sean. Thanks for the night. <laughs> it was it was kind of like that. It was kind of crazy because I was really upfront with him. I was like, you know, I'm doing this journey for myself. Um, I really need to figure out who I am and identify like because I grew up um, half Japanese, but not really understanding what that meant. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and being like, well, man, I feel so American, but I have this heritage that I'm so curious about. Um, I'm just going to do it because, you know, at that point when I put in the application, I wasn't married. I wasn't dating anybody. Oops. Until I met Sean. And then <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have kids. I didn't have a mortgage. I was just like, now is the time for me to go on, go on a big adventure. Yeah. Um, and I think what sealed the deal for me at least being committed to Sean was the fact that he let me go um he Mm. was just like yeah you have to do that um and if we make it through that great but if we don't you need to still figure out who you are and I was like that's awesome (laughs) that is awesome you guys kind of did long term like right off the bat then I'm sorry not long term long distance yeah it was yeah, yeah. And it was really easy in a way. Um, it was like, not saying the long distance is easy, but I think that for us, um, we were we were in a good place for each other to be supportive and to try to keep that up. And he came to visit Japan several times while I was there. And that was cool too, to like be able to show him what I was experiencing. That's super cool. Okay, tell me about your experience in Japan then. What was what was that like? How how did your discovery go? It was the hardest, most rewarding thing I've done other than being a parent, I think. Mm-hmm. It was really hard. Um oh hang on one second. Let me go grab the kid. <laughs> She's kinda oh, yeah. crying. No problem. We'll be back after a short break. Now back to Parenting with your host, Kelsey Higgins. All right, I'm back. I'm just, you might hear baby sounds. I'm sorry. Uh, I think all the listeners will be delighted to hear baby sounds in the background. <laughs> right. Hi, Aya. Welcome to Parenting. Thanks for joining. <laughs> she says, you're welcome. <laughs> That's what I do. <laughs> Tell me about... Um, Japan and and the discovery and your experience there. How long were you there? Did you you know teach the whole time? Tell me about all that. Ah, oh, yeah. So um, I worked for a private uh, company, and we did after. It was basically like extracurricular English language learning um, okay. because uh, in Japan kids are intensely into their academics oh my gosh it's like they go to school all day long and then they go to more school after school um it's it's kind of remarkable how dedicated they are um and it's just it seems culturally that's just what the kids do um so they have a really high work ethic and high standard there and my journey through it was that i love teaching um, I discovered that I really liked teaching. I love the students. Um, I liked being challenged. But what I came out of it with, I was like, wow, I'm really not into English. <laughs> so because my background oh. is in biology and life sciences, I was like, man, this would be awesome if I was teaching science. Mm, so gotcha. what I learned from that, other than like, I don't know. I made some huge cultural bumbles, but like I, I grew in a way that I don't think I would have grown if I had just been in my comfort zone in Minnesota. Sure. um, And so I was, 
I loved that experience because I didn't study abroad when I was in college. Um, and so this was for me about the study, like it was almost a study abroad kind yeah. of experience. Yeah. And so I was there for a little over a year. Um, and then I moved back to Minnesota um, to basically get a master's in teaching so that I could, in theory, move abroad again, but then be able to teach internationally to um, science or teach science internationally. That was my oh, goal. Okay. Very cool. <laughs> Fast forward almost 10 years and I am nowhere. <laughs> I got the master's, but I'm like not really attempting to go international right now. So a, a master's is a huge accomplishment. <laughs> That's oh, awesome. Thanks. So you, you returned and then immediately you and Sean were just like two peas in a pod again. Oh yeah, absolutely. It was like, it was like we had never, I had never left. It was really fun. Um, so we picked up where we left off. Um, we got married. Um, yeah. Had a couple of, two amazing kids, bought a house. Yeah. It, it was kind of an amazing, like, oh, that worked out really well. Yeah. I like this. <laughs> like, I found a good partner here. That's awesome. I love that. Let's talk about how you and I met for a few minutes because I think it's really cool. My experience at least was um, very positive. So we met in a group for first time moms. There were what, eight or nine of us? Mm -hmm. uh, yes. I think so. And so when you had Ren and I had my little guy, I think it started when they were just I don't know, a couple months old for the most part. Um, but oh, we would yeah. meet weekly uh, and just talk about baby stuff, mom stuff. And I found it super positive. What What was your experience? How did you feel about that? Oh, I loved it. Um, I loved it so much. I just went through and did a second time mama class. Oh, you the same did. Group. Yeah. Andrea, I feel like you're cheating on me. I'm not. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just adding to the village. That's all. So okay. <laughs> I'm going to okay. make the village bigger for all of us. Because awesome. I, I loved it so much. It was, um, you know, being a first time mom was, was scary. It was so scary. I had no idea what was going on. Um, I had a ton of postpartum anxiety um, mm. that I didn't know how to deal with. Um, and the sleep deprivation was crazy. But that group was awesome because there was usually a text message chain that was happening at about three in the morning, yep. which was about the time that I was still awake. You know, like I was like, oh, wow, I'm not the only one that's mm -hmm. going through this right at this moment. And, mm -hmm. you know, like, I mean, I was questioning a lot of, um, like, am I doing this right? And it was so nice to be able to, like, bounce that off of all of you guys and for all of us to be like, I don't know, but we're doing it. Yeah. <laughs> so that felt really good. Yeah. Oh, good. I, um, I, I feel the same way. So I, there, I, I will often, like, recommend it to new moms and they're like, oh, but I know so many people, you know, so many of my friends have kids. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I, I so did I, but 
The mm-hmm. difference is that you're all going through it at the same time. And also, I don't, you, you don't remember some of that stuff when you're like so deep into the details, like how many ounces a day are you guys pumping or how many, you right? know, how many yeah. wet diapers does your kid, it, it like, that's not something that a mom is going to remember years later and be like, oh, it's okay, blah, blah, blah. And you're <laughs> you know? like, that's not what, what I'm asking. I want to know is two ounces from each boob going to be okay. Yes. <laughs> right? Yes. Like you want to know exactly that sort of reassurance. Absolutely. And we were all kind it. of, like you said, we were all kind of doing it differently, but like the, the reassurance and I, I think just that, yeah, that text chain in the middle of the night when you're up with baby and it's like, oh, someone else is very tired right now, but also like learning how to be a mom and navigating all of this. I just, mm-hmm. I thought it was really cool. I did too. Yeah. I've recommended it to many people as well, where I'm like, you got to do it. It's so worth it. Tell me about the um, second round. So with, with Aya, then do you bring Ren or is it just Aya or what do you do? It's just Aya. So it's very similar to the first round where you like, just come as you are, you bring the baby. Um, If there's blowout, oh, well, people are just giggling about it. Um, and so, because Ren was at daycare, so it was kind of encouraged to, like, just, this is time for you and the baby. Because when you have a second one, um, it's, I would say, harder to have that, like, one-on-one, like, mama-infant time. where mm. Or mama-newborn time, where you're just, like, nursing them till they fall asleep. And then just looking at how cute they are. And then realizing that three hours has gone by. You know, like that doesn't happen when you have a toddler anymore. Um, And so that was, that was awesome. They very similar setup where you like sit in a circle and talk about different topics. But these topics involve things like having a growing family and Mm. what that means and then um, how to navigate any of the jealousies that your toddler might be having or our sleep deprivation felt different this time around. Um, mm. Yeah, it was, so that was also really good. It was a um, smaller group this time. And then a couple of people had to drop out a little early because of COVID, which was kind of sad. Oh, bummer. Uh, but um, yeah, it was, it was nice. Okay, so tell me your overall perception of going from zero to one and then one to two. Like, <laughs> what, tell me about I, – I get a lot of um, opinions about this, so I'm just curious what yours is. Zero to one, I think. Um, zero to one was much more difficult than – one to two. Okay. Um, Cause for zero to one, I had no idea what I was doing. I had never changed a newborn's diaper before I had changed a diaper, but usually they were like, I don't know, one years old. And so they mm. were bigger and seemed a little bit sturdier. Like I wasn't going to break <laughs> them. <laughs> like, yeah. And so changing a newborn diaper, that was terrifying to me. Um, swaddling. I had no idea how to use a swaddle like Mm. things that I do every single day now like I'm like oh this is kind of hard um and then the the change in time 
like like the the things that I cared about shifted really drastically with my first one mm-hmm. um and then but for zero or from one to two one of my biggest shocks was that my older daughter was jealous which it sounds so stupid to say out loud because I was like I just had this thought in my head that she wasn't going to be as jealous for moms for like my time mm. as she actually was. Oh, um, that's got to be really hard. Yeah. I mean, her world was completely rocked. Um, mm. She went from being like the biggest thing in our house that we paid attention to, to suddenly she had to share us. So, mm. I mean, I get it, but oof, it was, that was a roller coaster. but she's adjusted in many ways, faster than I think my husband and I have adjusted to that. So, I mean, yeah, like it just, I think it just took time for her to be like, okay, mommy and daddy still love me. (laughs) I'm still important. They're not going to bring the baby back to the hospital. Okay, I guess (laughs) I am going to be a big sister now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Um, okay. Now I, I'm going to switch directions a little bit. So you, I, I, now I kind of understand how you got into teaching. Um, but tell me about, tell me about like what you do for work today, what your normal day looks like at work. Yeah. So in, when I was doing my master's program, um, I went to Augsburg university in Minneapolis Mm -hmm. and I did the, I guess it's the adult class or the adult classes where they were night classes, um, like a master's for working adults, basically. Oh, okay. okay. Um, and in that cohort, I met um, a couple of my fellow teachers that work for the school I work for right now, which is called Lionsgate Academy. And it's a school that's focused on students on the autism spectrum. And I would say, like, don't quote me on this number, but I want to say probably. of our students or our student body are autistic. Okay. So it's a small charter school, but it's focused for students that um, really do not thrive in a neurotypical environment. So that'd be like a public school or a private school that has um, neurotypical or quote unquote, I shouldn't say this, um, but like what you'd expect like normal kids to be like. And I use the word normal with air quotes because I don't really think that anything is really normal, but Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that that's the best way I think I can describe it. Autism has become a lot more um, talked about than it used to be. So I think probably most of the listeners know someone who's autistic or has some kind of exposure to it. But um, what, generally speaking, like what is autism? What qualifies a child to be autistic? Okay, I'm going to start off by saying that I am no autism. I am not an expert in autism at all. Mm -hmm. Um, But my understanding of it is that it's like a, a, it's a spectrum. And it's definitely a spectrum. And it works with a broader range of characteristics that are challenging for these students um, and these learners. So this is like social skills. They can have repetitive behaviors. Their, their speech can be challenged or some of them are nonverbal. Um, mm. In my 
way of speaking of it. Uh, autism is when all of the wiring in your brain is different than a neurotypical brain would present. And so yeah. when, when your wires are sending different signals to different areas, you're going to have a lot of diversity in what you're able to take in and process. And so that's why I think it's a spectrum where it's like some students, they're, they're sensory, they can't handle lo lo loud noises or bright lights or clicking sounds over and over again. Um, and that like will trigger them or distracts them. And so like, that's just an example. And so they'll find ways to cope with that. That mm -hmm. could be like um, uh, maybe a repetitive behavior where some student is just like swaying back and forth um, mm. a lot. Um, what I have seen actually is that this is autism is very comorbid, which means that there is something else with autism. So it's like, okay, yes, you're autistic, but you also have um, you have anxiety, you have dyslexia, you have ADHD. Oh my gosh, there's so much ADHD. Oh my goodness. Mm, Most of the time, really? I feel like, and then with all of that included, then there's depression. Mm. Um, because a lot of these students come to our school with, and now again, I, I don't want to be quoted, but because I'm not an expert in this and I haven't been doing, I mean, I can't identify trauma uh, officially because I'm not a therapist, but um, it appears to me that a lot of these students have come from very traumatic experiences in a neurotypical school environment. Mm -hmm. um, like, and these are students where, in a really big school, they wouldn't be able to walk down the hallway when they're changing classes because the amount of people around them is so overwhelming that they just can't handle it. So then mm -hmm. they're stuck in like one room all day long. But then when they come to us, they're able to, we don't have bells um, during the passing time. Like we're not gonna mark you tardy unless you're like really tardy. Um, like if you need extra time to get to class, that's fine. Um, we try to make sure that we keep, like they purposefully keep the numbers down so it's not overwhelming for a lot of the students. And mm -hmm. it's amazing because they, they thrive. Um, mm -hmm. Like students that were struggling so much before are able to blossom. They can be in the school play, they make friends, they like, build lasting relationships with everybody. It's it's kind of amazing what this school does for students that have been struggling for so, so, so long. And you can I kind of, that. yeah, it's, it's, it's so rewarding. It's, it's fantastic to see. Every, every kid deserves to find their little place and their little safe spot. And that's really cool. What, what age is the school or and in what age do you teach? Um, it is seventh through 12th grade. Um, and I teach all of them actually. So I'm a science teacher. So I teach the earth science, I teach earth science, forensics, um, physical science, chemistry. And then this year I started a food science class. Oh, cool. Yeah. And so like the earth science is going to be a middle school age students. 
Um, there's another science teacher um, because it's a small school. There's only two of us. So like every other year we take on middle school. So this year I took on middle schoolers. Next year he gets them and it goes on. And then, but every year I still do have a couple of high school classes as well. How have you adapted your teaching style, if you have, to accommodate the student population? Oh, so many accommodations, actually. Yeah? Yeah, that's a very real thing. Um, Something that I originally struggled with, um, and I still work really hard to keep on working on, is finding ways to differentiate my subject matter to all the levels for all of the students. Cause that, um, that can be really quite a challenge. And that, that's stuff like all of my worksheets I have to make. So like I could find a worksheet that's online or from like a, a textbook, but then I have to break it down. Um, because even the spacing of like, like, is it double spaced or if it's single spaced? If it's single spaced, but I want them to write things, some of these students really struggle with fine motor skills. And so um, they're, they really struggle with like keeping the writing within a certain like spacing margins and stuff like that. Like they'll take the entire page. They'll take like three pages to write two answers. So I have to like really be thoughtful about some of like how I design things how I set up labs. Um, I have to be very clear with my directions and I have to include more visuals um, Mm -hmm. versus like having written or even auditory directions. Sure. But I have to say it's probably made me better that I have to slow down and think about this because in a typical, like a public high school setting, I don't take the, or I didn't in the past when I worked before, I didn't take the time to think about how all of the learners in the classroom were different and how they could all be successful. Um, But in my current classroom, if I don't do that, then none of them are going to thrive. So I feel like everybody should start to slow down and think about this. Like, are your directions clear? Are you just catering to one person or one type of student learner that's, you know, really good at, oh, I can read 20 pages and then get the worksheet done. But like maybe, maybe we need to rethink how we're teaching all of our students. Mm. That sounds like a, a tall order. Like that's, <laughs> that, that like exhausts me even listening to you talk about it. Yeah, it is. But it's worth it. I don't know. Like when I first started, I was overwhelmed. I have to say that. But I had some really awesome people that supported me and helped me like baby step my way through it where I was like, oh, okay, this isn't so bad now. Um, And so now it's almost second nature and like how I break things down or how I think about um, what I'm doing for organizing labs and stuff like that. So did you say that's the biggest challenge is, is kind of customizing everything like that? Absolutely. Yeah. What's the most rewarding part of your job? How the students transform. It's that's insane. It's absolutely insane. Cause um, 
With autism, there comes a lot of behaviors. There's a lot of impulse control, a lot of emotional controls that is lacking with a lot of students. And so we have like we have what we call the four B's. It's like be safe, be respectful, be flexible, and be responsible. And for me, be flexible is like the biggest thing that I'm always asking students to be. Like they come in and they're rigid about something like, okay, this is my schedule and it can't change by one minute or else I'm mm-hmm. going to be very upset. Um, and so you're asking them to be flexible all the time. And when they come in in seventh grade, again, they have some uh, some background of baggage. Um, they don't trust authority because authority has never protected them before. They don't um, trust other students because other students have bullied them before. Uh, they don't trust themselves to be authentic to who they are because they've never been supported in that way by their peers or by their teachers, etc. Mm-hmm. And they come in carrying a lot of a lot of baggage and having a ton of walls. And it's amazing what four years will do, six years if we're if we have them from seventh to twelfth grade. It's amazing. They they change. They're not the same kid that walked in the door when they were in seventh grade. And that's probably the most rewarding thing to see is like the huge amount of growth um, because they're confident, they have friends, they're able to do perform academic academically very well. Like they can do more with their lives than what they believed that they could do when they first came. Mm. Um, it's really, it's fantastic. And I'm very proud of like how much they grow and with that comes maturity too and so like that just like all of a sudden by like 11th and 12th grade they like it's like this light bulb goes off and they're like oh I got it I I can hold it together a little bit more and not and like know what is appropriate to say and not and Sure, I'll turn in all my homework on time. This is great. I got it. I'm like, whoa. And you're like, who is this? I know. I'm like, I'm not taking any credit for this, but this is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) So then you, because you teach kind of all the grades, then it's, you could work with a kid through that entire time at the school. Absolutely. Yep. Wow. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, and like this year's group of middle schoolers, I'm actually really excited to see where they're going to be in several years. And yeah. yeah, I know that a lot of people don't like teaching middle school, but I think that they're kind of fun. I think yeah. it's because I have like a balance of middle schoolers and high schoolers that I'm like, this is going to be fun. Plus, I get to see them when they're seniors. Like, I get to see how far they've come. Sure. Yeah. Well, that'd be cool. Do you ever see yourself teaching, I don't want to say normal, n- neuro- <laughs> I know, neurotypical. <laughs> neurotypical, thank you. Yeah. Do you ever yeah. see yourself teaching neurotypical children again? Or like, is this, do you feel like this is your calling? Um, I might. Um, yeah, I could, I could definitely see myself back in a neurotypical classroom. Yeah, this is because I didn't go into this with a special ed degree or anything like that. I just went in because my cohort, like there was individuals in my cohort that also worked for this school. And they're like, hey, we got an opening. Do you want to work here? I'm like, sure, that sounds like fun. I think I just really like teaching and it doesn't matter 
the demographic of the students because I think that I can make an impact if they're neurotypical or not. I do though prefer a small classroom and a small school because then I feel like I like my manager is my principal. Like if I have questions, she's so accessible. But in the past, I worked in a school where there was like 3,000 students and several assistant principals and like the principal had no idea who I was, you know. Mm -hmm. And so for me, like there's just different challenges when you're in a large school versus a small one. And I think I thrive when I'm in a smaller environment. That's something I wouldn't that I wouldn't think about, but it's, uh, you know, very similar to just if, if someone's in the corporate world or, you know, working at a, a private company or whatever, just the size of the company and the impact mm-hmm. that that has and, and what you want. That's interesting. What I was going to follow up with, and I think you answered because you're like, I just like teaching. <laughs> I know a lot of teachers that have had a really tough couple of years and actually exited the teaching world. Mm -hmm. Um, How has the last couple of years been for you? And has it crossed your mind? Like, you know what? I could be doing something a lot easier than this bull. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I really could. (laughs) I could. I mean, I've, Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, I'm not going to lie. It's been really hard. Like COVID that's not my cup of tea. Um, I, I don't love it. Um, I'm doing the best I can. And, but I do know, I know a lot of people as well that are just like, we can't do this anymore. It's causing so much stress and meltdowns. Um, I've been, fortunate enough that I felt I was really supported during this. Um, So even when it was really hard, I felt like I could still get through it and I was going to be all right. Um, And there's a lot of people I know that weren't feeling the same way. So I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm okay right now. I'm okay. But that's also because like, I don't know, I have a newborn. I'm currently not teaching. I'm on maternity leave. Um, maybe I have all the happy hormones going through me right now. So I'm like, yeah. yay, teaching's great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, cause it is a lot of work. That's the thing is that it's, it's a lot of work and you have to have so much patience and it's very emotionally demanding to be in the field that I, or the field, the school that I'm in. Um, Mm -hmm. Because every day you got to go in there and you got to be like, all right, I'm prepared for anything. And I and you have to be the calm one all the time. And so, yeah, so you pour a lot of emotions into your job and then come home and pour more emotions into your toddler and somehow crawl into bed. (laughs) That's what I was just thinking about is like I um, like my work life is very different from my home life right like I'm working with Mm -hmm. adults all day long and remote like by myself in you know in my office and then I just I just am having a hard time imagining that I could drum up the energy to do what you do that's actually that's actually (laughs) you know oh you're making me blush (laughs) no that's um very impressive 
in what ways, if at all, has teaching impacted your parenting? Oh, it's made me such a better mom. Really? So much. Oh, God, yes. Um, Yeah, because, like, I, like, on a pretty daily basis when I'm at school, have to work with with students that are having an emotional struggle and things are setting them off and they're not able to regulate themselves and they're just everything is challenging for them and it's and they really cannot help it like they are learning but they are and they're trying really hard but things are just overwhelming to them and I've learned how to have so much grace with like the meltdown that happens when it happens that when I come home, I'm like, okay, my toddler also cannot handle what's going on. Like she's, there's too many emotions, like big emotions are happening right now. And so it's made me such a better mom. Cause I can like come home and be like, this is not your fault. I cannot be mad at you because you just like, you don't understand how to control your emotions, you know? Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's given me I think I was a pretty patient person before, but I think I'm like way more patient in general, just with everything now mm. that I've had this experience in the way I work. Cause I'm like, you know, the zone of my control right now, what I can control is myself and I can be calm in the situation. That doesn't mean that it's easy to do that. Oh my God. It's yeah. not, it's not easy to do that at all, right. but um, yeah, it's, it's made teaching or teaching has made me into a better mom, I think. I love that. That's very cool. Okay. I have a, like a couple of additional questions and then we'll wrap this up, Andrea. (laughs) Sure. What is your favorite part of being a mom? Actually, let me start with this. Did you always want to be a mom? Oh yeah, absolutely. You did? Yes. Okay. Hands down. What is your favorite part of being a mom? Oh my gosh. That's so hard. All of it. Like, yeah. Well, okay, so a little bit of background um, on this is that both of my babies, I had to have help with because we had an infertility struggle, kind of. Mm. Like, we didn't go all the way to IVF, but um, we definitely needed to, like, see the endocrinologist and have lots of blood draws and lots of meds and stuff like that happen. Um, Mm. And so I was so grateful to have my babies at all. That, like, I'm just, like, taking it in. Like, it's so awesome to see Ren grow and talk and how smart she is. Oh, my gosh. It's shocking what she's taking in. And I'm like, wait. <laughs> like, do you have that with Augie where you're like, oh, yeah. my goodness. How did you remember that? Exactly. He'll bring up something <laughs> that we talked about, like, a week ago. And I'm like, what? How did, wow, you're so, you're like the smartest boy alive. Wow. Right. And, but they are, it's so cool. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It's really amazing. And like right now with my baby, I'm just like, you're going to grow into that. That's phenomenal. Like, you know, cause then I'm starting to see like, everything's like a season with, with Mm. newborns which Mm -hmm. this is a perspective I did not have when I first met you. I was like, oh my God, this is going to last forever. I'm never going to (laughs) sleep. I can't do this. What's another sleep regression? Why? Why is this happening? (laughs) Oh my gosh. Like, 
it was just like, but now that I have the two, I'm like, oh, okay, this isn't so bad. And this is pretty remarkable too. Like that something so small is going to be able to do what her older sister can do. It's just amazing. Mm -hmm. I don't know the whole, I, that's so cliche, but I really do like being a parent, even when it's difficult. And I mean, you know, just got to take it, take the good with the bad. Thank you for bringing up your um, infertility as well. I, I just know so many people who struggle with it. And I think the more and more that people are willing to talk about it, the easier it is to, for, for others to kind of. Oh, absolutely. As well. Yeah. I've been, it's kind of hard to like bring up in a conversation and be like, hi, how are you? I had this infertility journey, (laughs) but at the same time, I'm pretty open about it too. Like I feel like for so many women, they go down the shame spiral where they're like, it's my fault. There's something that I ate. There's something that I did. There's something that I breathed in on accident, or I looked at the sun during a solar eclipse or something like, like, (laughs) you know, like you just go down this lonely, dark hole where you think that you are the only person that is experiencing it. And I'm really there are sometimes I'm like really glad that there's social media out there because people are becoming more and more vocal about like their journey and how like alienating it is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I I was like going down this really dark hole um, before I got pregnant with Ren and then realized that one of my good friends was going through the exact same thing. She had something like nine IUIs. Um, before she got pregnant with her first and I had no idea that that was happening until like, we finally were like, wait, why are you going to the doctor? (laughs) And so it's just one of those things where I'm like, I'll talk to anybody about it because I'm just like, yeah, Yeah. sure. It's awesome that you have a lovely outcome for that as well, because I know not all folks get to that point. So, right. I know. What a blessing. What two little blessings for you. Right. I know. It's kind of crazy. I know we're um, talking about how much you love being a parent and it's the best <laughs> in the world. But let me ask this last question to wrap us up. Mm-hmm. What do you think is the most challenging part of being a parent? Uh, the meltdowns. The toddler meltdowns are so hard. Oh my God. Oh my God. You're like, I know my sweet little baby is inside of there. Where are you? I know. And then it's like, I don't know what my daughter did this past week. Well, okay. I should say a lot of things. So like our household has COVID and I was quarantined away from my toddler, but her screaming tantrums and I'm hearing them from the basement. were like a new octave this week. They were like oh, banshee man. level. And I'm like, oh my God, why? <laughs> and like, whoa. Um, yeah, the toddler feels are very much there. Um, that's that's so hard. It's so hard to navigate when that stuff, when she melts down because it's breaking my heart. But mm-hmm. like for real, you asked for the purple cup and I'm giving you the purple cup. I don't know what I did wrong. <laughs> like <laughs> it's your world, Ren. I'm just here to serve you. <laughs> I'm trying. Was it the wrong purple cup? We only have one. 
Oh, I get it. And you, you said something earlier that I was, I don't know, I read an article or something about how gentle parenting is so much more difficult than, well, I guess I don't know what non-gentle parenting is called, but oh, more yeah. like, like j- just to like keep your cool and, and people oh, yeah. often see that as almost like a, like passive parenting, mm-hmm. but it's, yeah. it is so intentional and it's so hard to do. Oh my God, is it hard? Yeah, I, I grew up in an environment that was, I would say, the uh, not passive at all. It was very much like, I mean, there was there was yelling. Um, and I, I think I vowed at some point in my childhood that like I was not going to do that to my kids, um, mm-hmm. which is by far the hardest thing ever to not yell when you get mad. Mm-hmm. It, it's really mm-hmm. difficult to like, pause, take a breath. And you're like, I don't care about namaste. You guys and you're like <laughs> meditation apps. I will do that when I'm calm. I am angry right now. But like you, I'm like trying so hard not to lose it. Yeah. Right. I'd say that's, oh God, that's the worst part. Yeah. Well, you are doing it and you're killing it. <laughs> Thanks. What's the hardest thing for you as being a mom? Uh, I'm not used to people turning around questions. On me. <laughs> I'm <Yeah>. sorry. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I would say I still struggle with finding the right balance of kid time, me time and spouse time. Ah, it's yes. still something I really struggle with and mm-hmm. have a lot of guilt about when Absolutely. I'm, when I feel like I'm spending too much time in, in one area, you know, it, it something's got to give. And that's right. just, that's something I still have to be very conscious about. And um, yeah, I don't, I don't know where it comes from. It just, it feels like when I'm not giving a hundred percent to my kid, like I'm doing something wrong, but right. we all know that that's not true because right? you know, what, what everyone true. says, you can't fill, pour from an empty cup or whatever the saying is. Mm-hmm. You know? That balance, it's so hard. It's really hard. I'm with you on it that. It is. And yeah. it's, I mean, thank goodness that we have, you know, my in-laws are here and, and can help us out. I just think of people who don't have, you know, any kind of support and I will, I hats off to them because it's tough enough as it is. I know. Oh my gosh. I just want to give them a hug, but I don't think we mm. can hug any people, anybody for a while. But <laughs> I'll just pretend hug you from way over here. Oh man. Well, Andrea, I had a lovely time speaking with you. I learned some cool things about you that I didn't know. So that's always kind of fun. It, oh, it makes me feel like I don't ask people enough questions in real life. Well, we just have to get together too. I mean, like the mom group hasn't met for a while. So it's been a minute, hasn't it? Thanks again for joining. You've been a delight to have. Well, thank you. And to all of the listeners, thank you for joining as well. I invite you to tune in again next week for another insightful conversation. And if you haven't already done so, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. See you next time.